On this episode, we talk about short squeeze mania, the worst market since October, and the greatest transfer of wealth we've ever seen. Welcome do it. to Think at Heart. Episode four. Man, getting, getting in we the are, you know, there's certainly not a, a shortage of things to talk about. It seems like every week it's ramping up for us, you know. I think when I've done podcasts in the past, it's been like, okay, what are we going to talk about today? Kind of have to fabricate things. But the market and the world is just providing us more content than we can handle. We can do this every single day and not run out of content. That's for sure. That's for sure. Even all weekend. All weekend. Yes. <laughs> we don't even know what we're getting into tomorrow. Right? Yeah. We're going to wake up and it's going to be... Uh, gonna be busy it's gonna be busy that's for good. sure yeah we're young we're young, we're young. that's it we can do that, it and you know what? that's what we have over most of our uh most of our colleagues most of our competitors as far as the investment world you know like most advisors they're like 65 years old right <laughs> so yeah let's see average age i think is 59 right now yeah 59 right yeah, yeah. and uh yeah so that's crazy but uh, yeah, there's no way they're keeping up with this. No, Talk for sure. Energy, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's just jump right into it. We have more, uh, we have so much content here that we, we need to talk about it. Let's go right into what everybody's thinking about. <laughs> and that's short squeeze mania. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's not, I didn't, I didn't coin it that way. I obviously stole that from somewhere, but that's exactly what it is. I mean, yeah. my take on it is I think the internet has realized its power right yeah as far as this is your classic big guy against little guy and yeah. the little guy is realized that he's actually bigger than the big guy in this case which yeah. is you know before when people tried to rally and and maybe take on you know some of the some of these uh funds these hedge yeah. funds yeah that, you know they couldn't do it now i think yeah. they realize that they have the capability because mm-hmm. the internet you know, everybody is just so vast now and people can, you know, or it's so well organized. They can organize themselves yeah. and make big decisions and make significant changes, you know? Yeah. Fun, yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, uh, did you want to say anything else before I talk here? Or are we good? Oh, no, go it's going. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I think, uh, you know, I've read a lot over the weekend as, as I'm sure you have as well. And, uh, you know, it's one of these things, right? You, the retail people definitely have uh, have some power, but what the hedge fund business is really good at doing is jumping on the back, jumping on the back of whatever's working. So where they may have uh, kind of pushed the push that ball down the hill, um, you know, the the hedge funds have jumped on these trades for sure. I mean, we look at so Melvin Capital had to come out with their with their uh, end of month returns, right? So, you know, they're $12.5 billion December 31st and they're 6 billion uh, end of January. Like this guy's, this guy just got his butt handed to him. And so from, from that perspective, I think, you know, we talk about so much about risk management, like either this guy should get fired or his risk manager, his oversight committee should get fired. Like, I don't know. I don't, it doesn't matter how much risk you're taking. It was 50% of your value in one month. Like you just got lucky in the past. 
you just were taking on way too much risk and didn't know what you were doing. Um, but more, more to your point about uh, the Reddit, subreddit group um, taking on GameStop and Melvin, um, obviously there have been a number of signals that they're looking at other, other companies as well. But yeah, Game, GameStop go from you know, hovering around 20 to, uh, I, I got to pull it up here because uh, the interday action on Friday was crazy. Yeah, so it went to, uh, was that Friday? No, I think it was Thursday. Yeah, Thursday it went to 483, back down to 112, and then finished the day kind of in the mid 200s. But what I saw happening across the board too, is, as I'm sure you saw some of this, lots of people posting like forced sellouts, Robinhood coming in, TD, like some of these brokerage houses were coming out and just liquidating accounts. Yeah. You know, all these guys are gonna get, gonna get uh, fined and, and sued. Like there's no way you get out of this. Like you, they, they forced them into selling. And so that, that made me thinking, why are they selling? And so, you know, they obviously don't have enough capital, I guess, is what it comes down to. So there's a real kind of issue, systematic issue that's happened behind the scenes. So, yeah. But what's interesting, too, is that, that uh, you know, Robinhood seems to be the real fall guy here, right? And it's not just them, my, my yeah. understanding, but they, they seem to be the front runner on it and taking all the, the brunt of it. Yeah, for sure. I think it's because they've been so public on this. We're like, we're that independent, we're that Robin Hood, right? We're taken from the rich and given to the poor. And so they've had that, you know, free trading. You can do it another way. You don't need Wall Street. You know, this is, this is their message. But behind the scenes, like we know what they're doing, right? They're selling. The only reason they make money is because they sell their data flow to Citadel right and citadel took that flow while over in one hand citadel's saying okay melvin we're gonna bail you out so this will cost us two billion but we're gonna front run robin hood over here and make five billion so yeah I mean, we still made three billion we're good yeah, for sure <laughs> i don't know i i think that this is gonna be the start you know i think i think groups like this are, are gonna get organized and they're i think they're already testing the market like you know, you saw they, uh, you know, they, they're giving it a go with silver, right? Yep. Yep. Find some of the metals now, and I think they're just going to continue to, to kind of try to find something that continues to work here. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what they do this week. I mean, GameStop, we'll see how that trades if they decide to jump on another pony. I mean, silver coming into this, they weren't like the commercials weren't actually net short. So they're, they're trying to do something a little different than they did with GameStop. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that they have the ability to be quite power powerful. Obviously we listen, if you listen to the, the, Real Vision Daily Briefing there on Friday, right? We had that uh, that uh, girl Lily, I think her name was, come on and talk about you know how people are trading this and the options strategies and and kind of the the idea of how you know there people are looking for a different way to make money and it's more kind of quant computer like a really kind of uh, a combination of all of the things, right? You're getting all these people come together and then you're getting a different style of trading as well. Because we've seen, as we've talked about last week, right? We've seen call vo volumes um, bigger than the underlying equity volumes. So you know, I think those two things are, are happening together. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. So, so as far as an advisor, and we mentioned, we talked about this on our client only, um, yep. round weekly roundup is, you know, do you look at, do you look at, uh, opportunities like this for mm. client portfolios or do you find? Yeah, I'd say that, uh, I'd, I'd need something else. Um, for it to make sense. Like with the Nokia, for example, that'd be something that could potentially fit in because they have, uh, they also have a good business, still trading at reasonable valuations. So if you get com, if you could get a combo of that and the no L brands, which we talked about, that was something that I'd liked. Um, and uh, it was something that was being squeezed as well. So you'd also, you'd need kind of a, a combination setup. I wouldn't play it just from a pure, pure momentum perspective. It, I'd also need some kind of other setup for, for me to think about it making sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about a whole new, another way of trading, right? You see a momentum trading is something that becomes more popular then. Is that what's happening here? It's momentum trading. So, so I think you could, maybe you could get quants kind of locking onto this. So, you know, there's some ETFs out there, exchange traded funds um, that use, uh, use machine learning into their into their uh, uh, system so you know you could see some of that actually you know a company like arc right like they may come out with some kind of product that could trade around it but there is an etf which i can't think of the name off the top of my head we can we can get that out there later um, but they use watson um, to run their kind of machine learning algorithm to to trade the markets and so the their system is built off looking for signals and then taking advantage of those signals and so I think if you get that machine learning thinking, right, you get more of these activities, the computer and the, and the system learns how to trade and identify them. So, yeah, I guess it's, it'd be kind of quasi momentum, but you'd really need that machine to be picking up these signals in order to, to trade that. Because right now you got, if you believe it, like this Reddit, I mean, I don't know how many they said is on the stream now, something like seven and a half million um, of people that are in there communicating around this, this trading idea. So they, again, they'd still be driving idea generation, um, but the flows come so quickly and so fast. They, I mean, they couldn't pick up on them. They're just hoping and guessing you'd need a computer to identify and trade it. And so I'd say it's momentum, but it's momentum with a learning kind of overlay. Interesting. Yeah. So how do you think this correlates kind of, uh, you know, goes right into our next topic, which is how do you think this all correlates to the market being down, you know, basically being the worst market since October, 2020. Yeah. Do you think all of this is, is correlated or do you think it's just you know, coincidence or why do you think it's down from Yeah. So we got it. We definitely got an opposite start to January of last year. You know, we had a big blowout start at the start of the year here. Um, and uh, so I think that um, we got that, you know, last year was a big run up up until kind of first week of February and then the wheels fell off. And we kind of had the, the opposite here. We did have a bit of a run out of the gate and then we've kind of had selling basically since, uh, since Biden took over. Um, so, you know, I think that maybe there there is a lot of fear that uh, the market's overvalued and all these things, which we can talk about a bit more. Um, but, you know, I think that 
people, I think that the market's trying to figure out what to do here. And as for that kind of sell-off, well, we did have options expiration uh, on Friday. Um, there is a big mismatch in, in returns. You know, we talked a bit, little bit before, but, you know, I think we'll put those out there. Like the Dow is minus two, NASDAQ's up 1.4. <clears throat> Excuse me, S&P and U.S. dollars is up uh, or is down 1.1%. Uh, Canadian dollars down 1%. And the S&P is down half a percent this year. So, and then I go and look at individual stocks, which, you know, you, again, you're going to get a pretty... Uh, pretty different picture for what Canadian st what individual stocks are doing versus this because I go down the board and like some of the companies that I like like EOS Energy is up seven and a half percent, Nordstrom like the, the some of these commercial consumer discretionaries which I've said I think is a interesting sector to own right now is up fifteen percent, Overstock which we've talked about a little bit it's up sixty percent so you get a pretty uh, mixed return profile. And I think the sector is very important so, right now. And so I don't think they're necessarily connected. I think volatility's increased maybe as a result of some of this. So there may be some of that kind of vol spike, which is causing some concern in the, in the broad market. Um, but, you know, I think you really, you really got to own the right sectors right now. And I think that, uh, that, that, that plays a major part. Yeah, for sure. Yep. I mean, I, I keep hearing, you know, with, with with the environment that we're in now, you know, with everything just seeming to be on a rope for since last March, right? Big crash last March, and then everything was going straight up despite, you know, continued negative news about the COVID, about COVID and the vaccines and all these types of things, and you know, the economy, and jobless rate, and you know, all this negative news, but, you know, the market continues to go up. So now yeah. we're starting to hear, you know, the word bubble come out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, are we in that situation already where I think, you know, the bubble just, the bubble just burst in March, right? Yeah. With the news yeah. of the yeah. uh, everything absolutely tanked. Yeah. We're not even a year later and people are already talking we're in a bubble. Do you think that's yeah. the case? Well, I think we've been in a bubble for five years. <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, I think, uh, I think it was 2015, maybe it's 2014, 2015, when uh, Ben Bernanke was still the, the central bank chair, and uh, he started to talk about tapering, which is uh, kind of pulling back on the, the stim stimulus they're putting in the markets. Uh, that would have been 2015, actually. Yeah. So he had what's called this taper tantrum. And so, you know, the, the markets and the economy, I think, were at a place that they could have digested it at that point. Um, and we would have had a bit of a challenge. The economy would have been a bit rocky. They would have pulled back. Interest rates would have moved higher. And then we, the world would have figured out how to how to grow again. Um, but he panicked. Uh, he didn't want it to be his legacy. And uh, he said, well, my, I made a mistake. We're not going to taper. We're going to keep rates low and we're going to continue to buy assets. And so as a result of that single decision, um, you know, we can continued to stimulate, inflate, like uh, drive asset prices higher. So, yeah, I think we've been in a bubble probably since then. But now I guess the question is, is this the biggest bubble? 
<laughs> like, is this, is this as big as it gets? <laughs> and uh, I think the answer is no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and give us an example. Of, give us an example of like a real bubble, like the last big bubble was when? Like financial crisis? Yeah, so I guess the the financial crisis was a uh, bubble from the perspective that there was too much debt in the system, uh, not enough checks and balances. I guess it was a bubble. It was a pure real estate bubble. Uh, was the great financial crisis? Yeah. I think I think about it a bit differently than the tech bubble, um, and this feels a bit more like that. Because you get a lot of these companies coming out with no earnings, no, they got a good idea, like kind of more of that when uh, the other one was a financial engineered bubble because they levered up and, you know, started selling these uh, CDOs and uh, commercial, uh, commercial paper and just leverage on top of leverage. And that's what, that's what almost brought the financial system down. Um, and this one, where you know i started talking about it I, I think i in my two years ago i called it the everything bubble and so now we are two years later and uh we're still in the everything bubble and so you know so yes um we are bubbly but it is a big direct inverse correlation to interest rates right we've had interest rates falling for 30 years right so you know you got that kind of slow grind lower in rates which uh the other side of that is obviously you're making your money worth a little bit less um so assets are inflating to kind of offset that that falling knife so to speak so um so yeah we have uh bubbly assets but i look at and and you know, for, for those of you that know me, like I've been bearish and bullish over the years and two years ago bearish and, you know, back to kind of, I'd say moderately bullish short term. Uh, so I think, you, I think you have to think of the fact that we're in a, we're in a giant bubble, um, but it's a result of, of low negative interest rates and stim, stimulation from the central banks. And so unless you believe that you get somebody that comes in and says, hang on a second, I don't like this debt thing. <laughs> you know, we're gonna, we're gonna raise rates and we're gonna stop putting money into the system. And so if you think somebody like that comes along, then, then uh, yeah, we're, you know, market's probably 80% overvalued. That'll never happen. Right? Like that, that'll never happen. That they're gonna raise rates. And, I mean, not to what, we saw in the past right like it, it it's almost like the system is afraid to fail now they don't want yeah. anybody to fail ever right yeah. which has you know it's just ultimately just gonna build and build and build till it all, all collapses in my opinion <laughs> don't you think or, yeah look it's, it's a, a, a negative view right but uh well it's yeah. an economic school of thought right all the central bankers think the same way they think yeah. they can stimulate themselves out of it out of the system here right so unless you get a different like unless you get an economist that looks at the world from the perspective where we need to raise rates and we need to tighten our balance sheet 
and yeah, it's going to cause a lot of pain and yeah, people are going to hate us, but in order for us to survive, this is what we need to do. You need someone with a lot of guts to do that. And you also need uh, the, the offsetting politician, like whoever the leader is of that country to have the same guts to say, I I'm with you, we're going there. Um, so I'd say I'd put it at- We should do that. What's that? Is that what you think we should do too? Or are you more on the, uh, we can, we can uh, stimulate ourselves out of this? Well, it's impossible. You can't stimulate, you can't stimulate yourself out of this. Like, no, I, I think you have to, uh, like I said, 2015, should they have done it? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, are they at the point now where they can uh, do it? Well, yeah, of course, anybody can do it. I, and I think that country that does that, they're going to they're gonna be a super strong currency. They'll probably have a lot of power and strength, but not, nobody has the guts to do that. And, uh, you know, I would I do that? Because it's going to cause a lot of people a lot of pain if you want to do that. Um, so I think that if they expect, like, I mean, if the U.S. expects that the, they want to maintain to be the world leader, they should do it. But they're not going to. Yeah. Yeah, but isn't like, I mean, my view of things like all things like that is like it's the natural cycle of things, right? Hmm. Yeah. You have bad times and you've got to you know the reason why things fail is because they're they were meant to right because they weren't they weren't operating properly for today's time so it was time for them to go it's like a again this is probably one of those main street versus wall street things where i just look at it logically from a main street right every business has its cycle right like a like a blockbuster for example right well people aren't right renting bs bs bhs tapes anymore yeah right or yeah. DVDs or whatever it is, right? To the yeah. point where, oh, we stream it all live. Yeah. That company came to the end of its cycle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was time for it to go. Right? If we kept, because it was a big business, because if somebody just kept floating it and floating it and floating it, you're yeah. never going to make money unless they change the way that it, what they operate. Yeah. So I think here, here is the, uh, here is the, uh, the crossroads that the U.S. is at right now. They still maintain the the power of the U.S. dollar, which is you know 80% of all clearing that happens in the world. So presently they're they're in a power position, but they don't. I I really think they're not thinking about this. But they're you know because they're going to continue down this path, they think they can do this forever. They can't, and so they're gonna. What's going to happen is what's going to happen from what you're saying, is that China's going to be the world superpower, or India, or Europe. Um, so somebody's going to take the reins and uh, at some point, likely the IMF was the uh, International Monetary Fund says we come to some kind of basket currency, um, which, you know, we're going to clear trades, which will be part Canada, part Euro, part Sterling, uh, part USD. And uh, the U.S. is 50 percent overvalued U.S. dollar. And when that happens, it uh, is going to crush what's happening in the U.S. They're going to, uh, you know, not know what hit them. 
they're going to come back from a manufacturing perspective. They're going to survive. They're going to get through it. But you're going to have, uh, you know, that massive devaluation in the U.S. dollar, which will be amazing for China and India and the Middle East and emerging markets and South Africa and Africa. You know, they're all stuck with piles of U.S. dollar debt right now. And if their debt goes down by 50 percent, like they're in, they're in a great spot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can agree more. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. Um, that is definitely something we're going to delve into more, I think, is, you know, and I think that we're going to see that more and more as people just don't have a taste for dealing with pain anymore. And I just no. think it's a generational thing, right? Yeah. They yeah. always find a way to avoid the pain. Yeah. When it's the pill that did the most. Right. I yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little, a little surrealist today. I think so. Think? Well, I think what's happens too, like you think about it and you see it. I mean, you've come into this uh, market at an interesting time, right? So you're learning kind of and seeing a lot of different things. Uh, you know, if you came into this market 20 years ago, um, it, I mean, you would, you would have seen the world a bit, bit differently, um, you know, and we all approach it from our own perspective. And, and I think that uh, the unique challenge with managing money is having your own perspective in view, but not letting it influence whether you're going to make a decision to make money for clients or not. And I think that's really kind of that, that challenge, right? You know, you get stuck in, this is how it should be. Like Bernanke, should he have uh, let, let rates uh, rise? He should have. Like an idiot, he should have. But now he put the world in a bad spot. And I have to accept, and we have to accept that this is what's happening and this is what they're doing and then trade accordingly. You know, they've put Janet Yellen in, uh, in place to be secretary treasurer. You know, I, she's going to do exactly what Bernanke did and she's going to do exactly what uh, all of the other secretary treasurers did, which is stimulate, stimulate, stimulate. And uh, so, uh, so even if you disagree with it, which we both disagree with, um you have to accept it and trade appropriately yeah for sure yeah i mean it's it's gonna uh yeah the dogs behind you uh (laughs) that's Uh, that's perfect that's perfect uh okay well that's yeah like i said that's definitely a topic that we could probably have three shows worth for sure yeah and i mean we put up uh, on my annual presentation last week right i put up that uh, that one slide on valuations you know there's kind of 20 points uh that you can look at pe like you look at kind of every one of those metrics is 97 or 100 percentile right so these are historic levels like every single valuation metric is off the charts that's yeah. great. Yeah. All right. Well, let's shift gears here and um, let's talk about, uh, you know, something that we see almost every day in the business that we're in. And that's uh, talking about the greatest transfer of wealth yep. from one generation to the next. You know, it, it's kind of a good segue because I think we're talking about everything that we do now as a direct reflection on, you know, future generations. Sure. And I think we're, we're definitely seeing that, you know, as, as advisors or our clientele are, is, um, 
I would say older. Well, some of them are certainly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We deal with things like estates all the time, um, and just oh, the overall transfer of wealth and how that works. And there's obviously, and what I've learned is there's there's uh, it's really a lot of strategy there in order to make sure. sure that that passing of that wealth is seamless and you get the most value out of it for the next generation. Right. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's your thought? Your, your just your overview thought on, on that passing of, of, of generational wealth. Yeah. So I think it's a big deal. Uh, obviously the statistics are quite big. Uh, you know, what we've tried to do is try to make sure we have that multi-generation. So I think in, uh, we got a number of clients where we have four generations, right? Um, so we got kind of at all levels, so that you can uh, you can you can think about and, and plan effectively. You know, when you have things spread over in different places, it's hard to effectively plan. However, I think that there's a lot of things that can be done. Uh, it, you know, I've had so many conversations with clients about. You know, we're kind of in that spot where I think about it, where you got lots of people that are in kind of their, you know, late sixties, early seventies. They've they've saved a lot of money. Their kids are pretty wealthy too. They've got good careers, and then they're thinking about their grandkids because their grandkids are starting out, right? They're in university. They're kind of at that age, and so I've had lots of conversations with clients about, well, you know, I don't. My kids don't really need the money. Like, but my grandkids aren't really young enough to manage the money yet. How can we do planning around that? So lots of conversations about that. Um, but there's so many different things that you should think about. Um, and, uh, you know, as simple as the TFSA, you know, not everybody knows still the TFSA, you can name a beneficiary, anybody you want. Um, and that goes tax-free to them, which is different than the RSP. So, you know, if you have a TFSA, you've grown it up nicely. You want to leave that directly to your grandkids, for example. Um, you can name them as the beneficiary goes directly to them uh, tax-free uh, versus the RSP, right? Where an RSP, the only person that they can go tax-free to is to the spouse. Um, so you name the spouse as a beneficiary, they can go tax-free to them. Um, but so there's lots of things you can do. You know, if you have a disabled kid, um, you could name them as a beneficiary to their RSP or RIF, and it could go tax-free to them as well. So look, I mean, you could do uh, many segments on this uh, in, in great detail, but you know, each person's um, uh, setup is different. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of things to think about, you know, I recently had a client, um, whose, uh, husband passed away in Quebec and in Quebec, you don't have joint right of survivorship. So if you didn't do if you don't do any pre-planning and saying, well, we got to make sure that, well, if all of the money's in the husband's hands, well, we might be six, nine months before the, the wife or survivor gets access to that money. So you got to make sure you're planning and saying, let's make sure she's got some money so that we can settle the estate and then get the rest over to her. So there's a lot of planning things that, that need to happen in order to make sure you're prepared. Right. Yeah, that was one of the things that surprised me the most when I first got into this was how long it takes to yeah. settle the estate. Right, like some of them take a year, you yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. Case, but I guess well, yeah. tax implications with state estates as well, right? 
Yeah, so lots of tax implications. That's certainly uh, something to think about. Obviously, if you have a big RSP or RIF, that becomes taxable income when you die. You know, I still have conversations with clients about that that still don't understand that. You know, so from a simple perspective, you know, the second spouse dies, they got a million dollars in their RIF. Do you know how much tax they pay on that, right? They, they pay that at, at to the top marginal tax rate, right? So it's, a, it's essentially like you died receiving a million dollars of income in your final year. So, you know, $500,000 goes directly to the government of Canada. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess, I mean, the conversation is more, more for about taxes, I guess, but uh, I, I'm sure there's strategies to avoid paying that much, right? Definitely planning strategies uh, in, in a case like that, there'd be potentially some insurance that you could do to help offset some of that tax. You know, a lot of times too, if there's a family cottage, you would do something like that, right? So there'd be an insurance policy um, for the kids or grandkids that'll pay for any of the capital gains tax uh, on the family cottage. But uh, oftentimes you'd, you, you'd see some kind of insurance planning around it. So you got a quick offset from a tax perspective, you know, with an insurance, um, with an insurance policy, you have, you know, you, you don't need a lot of things to get, um, to get the proceeds from insurance policy. You know, it's a lot quicker than uh, if, uh, you know, some of the other assets, like all you need is a death certificate typically, and you get the proceeds from an insurance policy in a couple of weeks to maybe a month and a half, something like that, versus trying to settle a state that, as you said, could take a year. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, besides having a will, right, let's, let's put that as the first step. Yeah. What like if people are listening to this or watching this and they say, oh man, that's something I really want to look into. What's the, what's the first step they need to do in order to be like, to, to actually have a plan around that? Yeah. So it's a great question. I mean, we, uh, you know, we had Tom Deans on, uh, on in December and Tom gave us that, uh, the, that willing wisdom index that we paid for. And that's a great tool to access. And, you know, certainly if somebody who's watching this wants to access that, they can send, send you an email, right? Um, and that, that'd be a good place to kind of give you some thinking, like it's a thought process around uh, some of the things you should be thinking about. Um, but the, the will is certainly the, the template. Um, you know, people t typically as well want to put in those uh, power of attorney for finance and power of attorney for health, and you kind of want them them separately. You know that the whole concept that Tom has around that uh, that family meeting as well, I think, is really important. Um, and so, you know, I'd say those those things are worth thinking about and exploring. I mean, the will is good, but it's only really going to be effective and, and simple for your next generation if you've had conversations with them. And, you know, we, we see this every day, like I, the amount of conversations I see after the fact from the families where, you know, they say, you know, dad wanted me to have this or mom wanted me to have this or we agreed on this. You know, so I think that that kind of best thing you can do from a from a planning perspective is make sure you're you're talking to your heirs and having conversations and kind of kind of telling them what uh, what you're thinking, what your plans are. And so, 
it's pretty uncomfortable for a lot of people, but yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's something very powerful to look at. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Maybe I'll, uh, what I'll do is I'll link the Tom Beans interview in this uh, podcast as well. And yeah. That'd be good. Yet, uh, they can, they can certainly go to that same thing with the willing wisdom index yep. as well, which is cool, uh, that we offer our clients as well. All right. Well, man, the time flies when we have these things, right? For sure. Yeah, for sure. Out, you know, man, you got, you know, your, your notes here and you're like, oh, this is like 20 minutes conversation. Yeah. You know, 40 minutes later. Yeah. Uh, you got a full, full episode. For so, sure. Anyway, uh, do you have anything else you want to? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, obviously it'd be an interesting week ahead with what's happening with the short squeezes. And I see, I've seen some references to some concerns about the the plumbing in the financial system, which has given me some some issues and some concerns. You know, I, I'm generally tilted towards the bullish side, but if I read and start getting getting uh, getting concerned about the fact that there's some, you know, one of these firms has uh, um, issues with being able to clear trades and have enough cash. I know Robinhood's been trying to raise a billion dollars this weekend from its, from its private shareholders. So, you know, if, the, if it comes out that Robinhood can't clear trades anymore, uh, this market could uh, could be an issue. And Robinhood actually isn't the one that clears the trades. Apex is uh, the custodian that sits behind them. Um, but uh, that'll be something interesting to watch this week. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm sure. Hey, the way that the world's going now, we will never run out of topics for this podcast. That's for sure. All right. Well, that's episode four in in the bank, in the in the books, in awesome. the vault, <laughs> in whatever you want to call it. Yeah. All right. So we'll see you uh, next week. Sounds good. Awesome. Okay. All right. Take care.